From the shores of Summer Lake in Tigard, Oregon, it's the Portland Tim Beers Podcast, a show featuring two guys who love craft beer and Portland timber soccer. And now, here are your hosts, Jason and Gary. Tim Beers, I'm Jason. And I'm Gary. We're the uh, Portland Tim Beers. We're uh, drinking a cold hot chocolate. Cold hot chocolate. <laughs> how you doing, buddy? Pretty good. How about you? Good. How you like your cold hot chocolate? It literally tastes just like cold hot chocolate. Beer number one, kids. Matchless cold chocolate. And uh, it's a crazy imperial stout by Matchless Brewing. So. It's What's crazy, it's it's imperial stout. It doesn't even taste that, that strong. Yeah, uh, the descriptors. It's the most wonderful time for beer. Huh, Christmas beer. Yeah, there you go. Huh. Nice. Voyager yeast. Um, Pale Munich C80. Uh, chocolate and dark chocolate and Sabro hops. I love how Matchless puts like all the ingredients on here. I do too. Yeah. Yeah. I dig it. What's impressive is they don't have any adjuncts in there to get that chocolate taste. No adjuncts. It's all natural. Keep your junk out of it. <laughs> <laughs> no dipping your junk in my beer. <laughs> Keep it out of there. Well, all right, kids. Part two of the Art Lawrence series. Uh, that's what's on the docket today. Uh, part one, we learned about uh, kind of the early days of yeah. Art Lawrence. The lead-up history. The lead-up. Not the lead-up batter. No. Because we learned he was a baseball guy. That's true. Yeah, that big baseball true. guy. Yeah. So, And uh, I, think, I think we're going to pick up right at the Oregon Brewers Festival. So yeah. The funny thing about this is, right about this break, there's a dude <laughs> that walks up that's listening to our interview. Yeah. And totally just like, are you Art Lawrence? Oh my gosh, you're my hero. I think I think I went to high school with you. Went to school with him. Yeah. So, half hour, I think we're sitting there listening to these two go back and forth. Yeah. And... And essentially, Art's the hero of many. Not just you and I, but many. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. What else we got? So, we got beer news. I got a, I got a lot of beer news, dude. Really? A lot of beer news. And uh, slight twist to Kickstarter my heart. So, really? Yeah. You want to buy a brewery? Depends. We're going to look uh, at some of the breweries for sale right now. Really? Yeah. <laughs> breweries? For sale. So, yeah. so you want to invest? We're going to invest in a brewery. So, and it doesn't take that much to buy in. Huh. Yeah. Very um, interesting. The towns are small and kind of that. remote. I don't mind that either. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. Uh, so we got four beers on the docket here. Uh, again, number one here, the Cold Chocolate Imperial Style by Matchless. So Yummy. Should be fantastic night for beer because we got four very different beers. <laughs> very different. All, all very dark. Above, all are above 10%. Nice. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> what a way to start. <laughs> all right. Let's jump into um, our Oregon Beer Legacy Series, Part 2 with Art Lawrence. All right. We're back. So OBF. It's foundation of OBF. Yeah, yeah. My brother, five years younger than me, with the Hillsborough. Yeah. A couple guys in his class started a company we now call 
Papa Aldo's. I know Papa Aldo's. It's called Papa Murphy's. Now it's called, no, it's called Papa Aldo's. Now it's called Papa Murphy's. Right. And they had an idea of doing a blues festival at Waterfront Park in 1987. And they came in to talk to Fred and I about doing the beer at this blues festival they were doing at Waterfront Park. Yeah, well, yeah, we'd like to, we'll go do our beer. So we go down to the one day event, we go down to sell beer. We end up cleaning out the brewery. We thought we'd sell 16 to 20 cans. <laughs> we sold everything we had. 70 some cans. Three dollars a glass. Wow. They turned the taps on and went. I would fill up ten cakes of beer at the brewery in my pickup, drive down, get two more empties, run back, get those filled, back and forth, back and forth. So when they got when Papa Aldo's got the permit in '87, they also got it for '88. That's the way the city would do it. Now for us, events that there's a rolling calendar, that three years along. Um, they said, you know, the crowd that was there at Papa Aldo's Jeff's festival was not really our crowd. We want more family. So they gave the event, well, we paid $500 for their license for 1988. And I said, and Portland Brewing wrote the check. I said, and I went to Whitmer, McMinimum, and Bridgeport. The minimum says, well, yeah, we'll come to the festival. You you, you and Widmer and Bridgeport and Portland, you guys go plan it out. That's okay. So that's how we got started. So the, the heads of beer then in 1988 throw the very first OBF, official OBF, right? And was it just your guys' beers or did you invite others to come in? We invited, I think we have 17 different breweries. Okay. With two different beers each. Okay. We've got a list of them. There's a couple. I think Anderson Valley was there. Oh, were they really? The one out of Idaho, maybe Coeur d'Alene. Huh. Bert Grant, was he around still oh, yeah. at that point? Was oh, he? Yeah. Because yeah. <clears throat> that's close. That's right about the there time. There weren't for... that many choices. Yeah, there weren't. So, so OBF happens, right? Um, early, what were early tickets like? Did a lot of people show? I mean, when we're saying a lot, it's not like it is now. But what did, what did that look like crowd-wise? We got overwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> Darn beer drinkers. Everything worked out great. One of my friends, I rented the tents. He's now a friend of mine, but I rented the tents from him. And there was a guy named Dusty Schmidt who ran the concessions out at the PIR racetrack. We were selling beer to Dusty and got to know Dusty. And I went to him and said, I want to rent some tents. Who should I... Deal with. So I'll talk to Randy McCauley, he'll help you. So I talked to Randy, and okay, I'll rent them to you. You got to pay me on Saturday. Yeah, you come and I'll pay you. <laughs> Unbeknownst to me, Randy and I are still good friends. We were just together a couple weeks ago, and he told the story to Teddy so Teddy could hear it the first time. Dusty Schmidt and other guys that ran events around the state. Those guys, they're going to bend their pick down there. Who's just going to come to Waterfront Park to drink beer? There's no food. There's no music. They're just putting up some tents and giving some mugs, and people are going to go drink beer. They're going to bend their just pick. Just blowing their mind. And, and, um, and, and, and 
Dusty Schmidt tells Randy, he says, if Art doesn't pay you, I'll pay you. I know Art, we'll, we'll get our money somehow, but I'll guarantee it. And I don't know this. Right. I didn't know that for years, until years and years later. Randy comes down to get his money on Saturday. We're running out of beer. I'm out getting beer. Randy comes down and goes, where's Art? Oh, he's gone. And Randy goes, oh no, the guy ran out on me. <laughs> no, no, no. He said, we're running out of beer. Just stick around. He'll be right back. <laughs> yeah. He's going to buy more beer. So was it tokens in those early days? Uh-uh. Tickets? What was it? Just those little tickets. Those little, little tickets, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because we're going to go full circle back to that with uh, the Brewfest, right? The Hills Brewfest. But. So how many years of OBF did you have uninterrupted before 33. COVID? 33 years of uh, Brewfest. COVID hits, and you're forced to make a decision at that point. That was the first cancellation, right, you've ever had? Yeah. So what was that thought process? Because it was late before you guys actually canceled. We were just holding on. Yeah. Uh, working with the city, too. Right. The, the park administrator that we deal with is great. He's been doing it for years and years and years, and there's no drama. He's yeah. straightforward with us. He's a very good administrator. So early fees that we talked about, 500 bucks for the initial fee. Oh, it's $5. 5 bucks. yeah. And now it's what? Because <laughs> we talked about this now. Last time we did it was uh, 46500 <laughs> 12000 for the police and 8500 to replant the lawn. I remember the lawn conversation because, I mean, it just blows my mind with how many people are coming in after you and before you. Yeah, it looks like the top of my head. Yeah, for a while, there's nothing up You'd think they'd put something out down other than lawn since it's an event space. but So, many great beers along the way, right? So, early on, you selected beers how? Just whoever wanted to supply beers and what they had? We sent out invitations. Okay. And people could just provide whatever they wanted to provide? Yeah. And did you buy the kegs at that point? Okay. Always. Always buy the kegs? Okay. And then later on, how did you guys select beers? Because it changed. When it started, the Whitmer's responsibility was to select the beers. Really? Okay. But it became more and more difficult with more and more people applying. Yeah. Kurt and Rob are such nice people. <laughs> they're Swiss. You know, they want to be, they don't want to, they're, they're great people. They don't want to disrupt anybody. <laughs> so then we got into jointly making the decision so they get them off the hook. And it became difficult. Yeah. So we, we wanted to bring beers in. More coffee. A little more coffee. More hot water. I would. Could I also get a glass of water? Yes. How about iced tea? How are you doing? Another iced tea? I'm going to fill this up. One of the things that Kurt Wimmer instilled upon us was it gives us a chance to show off our beers to other people. Yep. We'll bring other beers in to show people from our market what other people are doing. And maybe tourists come in and get to see ours because we wanted to try to use it as a tool to put Portland on the map. So, but but there's a group that doesn't come down. There's a group, there's a large group, and I would say predominant. I'm sure you know the numbers that comes down and wants to do that. They want to try as many beers as possible, different stuff. There's another group, the Portland State, Oregon State crowd, the younger kid group that comes in, and they they're doing it for a different reason, right? 
And so that's where we start to see hell or high water watermelon and some of the stuff the younger crowd's drinking and interesting in, interested in. But how has beer selection changed over time, or has it not? Are you still is that still the premise that you're looking for stuff people are interested in? Yeah, what's new, people? What's new? We still good. drink what's new. I'm sure you go into a bar and you, oh, I don't know that tap handle. Yeah. Let me try that one. Well, we talked about this very at the brewer's breakfast, the last brewer's breakfast that you had, mm-hmm. that because um, numbers were going down slightly, right? And how do we engage people? And I said I can go into any tap house, right? And we talked about the parking lot here, the one in the thriftway here. Sir, just a minute, and I'll be right back with your water, okay? Yeah. We, talked about, sick, we talked about we could go to any tap house, right, and try the regular beers wherever we want, right? But the tap houses that I that I want to visit are the ones that have the one-offs or have new stuff or cutting-edge stuff that's out there, and that's what OBF used to offer was really the chance to go and visit some of those some of those things I couldn't try anywhere. Or the named beers of, oh, I heard about that Bigfoot beer from uh, Sierra Nevada. I'm going to try that because Art's got that on here. Yeah, well, you know that you can't just do a beer specific for one licensee. It has to be available for everybody according to OLCC. So we, we could not go say, do something special for us. But we would try to encourage people to introduce a new beer at OBS. So you can't buy a beer... That OB, you can't have a beer come to OBF that's not available to everybody via OLCC. How jacked is that? Like that's so. If I make a barrel of something, I've got to hold back some of it so that other people can buy it. Available, but maybe. How do I do one-offs? You don't. You only got one available. Yeah. Okay. It's in the book, but it's gone. Yeah. Well, there it is. Well, there you go. Interesting. We well, yesterday, but it, that one came. It's gone. It's, it's gone. So, so OBF moves on, right? So you've changed beer selection to really focus on things. Um, Hills Brew, no, I guess the West Side Beer Fest is the one that you're going to do in September 2020 or 2021. And uh, everybody's excited because we haven't had a brew fest in a while, an Art and Teddy brew fest. And you guys are going to do something at the new Washington County Convention space. So talk to us a little bit about what that is and then the decision to shut that down. Before well, we shut it down in September because we didn't feel that the public was ready to go out with their mask on and gather. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're, we're more accustomed to that now. People follow the rules better now. Yeah. What types of beers? What was the vision for it? The vision for this hills over the hill to hills brew. I want to feature beers and we've selected breweries from around the state and we were asking the various travel bureaus such as Washington County Visitors Association. There are seven breweries from Washington County. They want to come and promote their Washington County beers. So we have gone and selected beers from around the state. And Allison is now approaching the various travel tourist bureaus or whatever you call them, visitors associations or whatever. Try to get representation at the festival. We'll we'll provide everything for them. Doesn't cost them any money. They come in. Um, we're gonna have the Portland Hops. I mean, Hillsborough Hops come over. Just because I'm a baseball fan and yeah. and I know the owner of them and whatever I can do to help the Hops. That's great. Uh, so 
our idea is um, travel bureaus and local beers around the state. So if you go to down in the southern Oregon, there's something down in that valley, perhaps, or maybe down on the coast, or something from the east, or something from the midwest. Huh, interesting. Instead of just trying to go, well, Columbia Distributing, what have you got that you want to sell? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Which is what the tap houses are stuck with right now, is because they're buying from these distributors, and and they're like, hey, we'll cut you a good deal on this keg, and it may not be the best beer necessarily. So, so Hills Brew Fest is coming up, and so that is February 25th to the 27th, if I recall. Yes. And soon you can buy tickets, I see. You can't buy tickets yet, but right. soon you can buy tickets. It's a ticketing system, so it's single tickets for a taster. Yeah, a, a ticket's worth... Um $2. You get 20, 20 okay. tabs. Okay. So we're not going to see the... So we're not going to see the OBF coins pop up. There are true tickets, which is where OBF started. So, kind of cool. And it's at the Washington County Convention Space, the brand new convention space. Beautiful. Have you seen it? Yeah, oh, yeah. It's gorgeous. Beautiful place. And it's right off the Max line. Yeah. So, why'd you select that space? New. Yeah. I wanted to try something outside of Portland. Okay. Um, I used to go to the fairgrounds with the 4-H when I was in the 4-H. It, it brings you back to your roots, man. It's Hillsboro. Yeah. It's where it started, right? Yeah. Um, and the people that run it are very professional out there in Hillsboro fairgrounds. These people have worked for it for years and years. And they're really top-notch to work with. Boom, they know that. Boom, 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 right down with all the answers to your questions. Awesome. Awesome. Easy to work with. No grass to replant. Yeah. <laughs> so. We're looking at doing a festival there next September. Oh. We have a date already for that. Um, September 12th out there in Kennedy. And we want to bring our big tent out. Our big... Um, 60 by 300 foot tent put it on the west end of the um, convention center out there. Oh, yeah. Expand uh, a September fest of some kind. That'd be great. Got a couple ideas. Yeah, got a couple ideas? Anything you want to share? Not yet. Not yet. All right. Well, so... Um, but OBF, let's get back to OBF. Yeah, let's go OBF. OBF is going to be a three-day event this year Oh. in half the park. In half the park? Okay. And 40 beers. And 40 beers. So a little bit smaller scale, more intimate. We're going to still do it. to where we started. Are we going to do a parade? I hope so. We're going to do a brunch and a breakfast? I hope so. Who was selected that didn't get to do the breakfast? Was it Gigantic? Yes. Yes. Okay. So potentially do another... Uh, but the, the... I don't know that they want to do the breakfast. I don't know that we can go do that breakfast anymore. It's got so cost prohibitive to yeah. go rent a space. Well, I think some of that stuff just got overcomplicated. I think the nostalgia was good. It was fun. Um, I think the last breakfast we went to was the year before at up at Ecliptic, um, which was fun to see John and him show stuff off. But um, you go to high school with him, you know, he's a lower grad. Is he really? I did not know that. He's an Eagle Scout, too. I had no idea at all. So yeah. he's, uh, he's got that new place that opened up, uh, the old base camp space I just read about, with the moon bar, I think is what they're calling it. So it's got some sort of lunar theme. Yeah, I don't get out and about that much. You might have to check that one out. So, the big old moon bar. So, but he he's got it going. I mean, that's a guy that's just running with it right now. So, 
Yeah, well, he's, he's a great brewer. Um, he's always had good products. So this is a good segue. So I talked about you being on my Mount Rushmore Brewing. Um, who else deserves to be up there? If this was Arts Mount Rushmore Brewing, Well, who's up on that list? I start the discussion out with, I'm just, I feel so fortunate and lucky to be in a position where I could take advantage of something nearly 40 years ago. Right. And uh, a lot of what, oh, well, I'm reading a book by Ad Rutschman right now, who was my high school coach and he was a little Yes. <laughs> and a lot of it was what he talks about in his book. You have to be prepared to take advantage of opportunities. Yep. You have to train yourself. You have to discipline yourself. You have to look at sports as it just trains you for your future life. Right. Business and other things. It trains you to think. Because you got, this guy's a teacher. A coach, but he's a teacher. So he teaches you more than than a football player. It teaches you things to take home after the rest of your life. And, uh, so part of it was me being prepared to take advantage of an opportunity when that came along a long time ago. Uh, I just, again, I feel fortunate that I was there, but you got to take advantage of the opportunity as well. Yeah. And uh, I just, I just want to leave the brewing world with some input on it and some thoughts that a lot of us put in through the years. Just not me. So who's on that list? Who's on that list? Five. Pick five names. That are Oregon guys? Oregon guys. Oh, I'd take the McMinimums and the Whitmers and Fred and Ponzi's and the the Full Sail people and the Shoots people. Those are the, the early, early ones, the ones that I'm most familiar with. But what if, what is transpired is a lot of us, a lot of the early brewers, there wasn't a lot of information. Mm-hmm. And what the brewers have done is share, 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 share. And that's the, one of the first things that I learned about the brewing industry. 1988, um, Portland Brewing went over to Germany on a trip. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were in a small town in southern Germany because a friend was trying to sell hop twine, and they use metal wire. And we were in a town called Tetanong, T-E-T-T-N-A-N-G, the Tetanong hops, hops yeah. in that region. And there's a small brewery in that town, Cronin, Crown, Cronin Brewery. And we went and knocked on the door of the restaurant about 10 o'clock in the morning. A friend of ours was with us and spoke German. These guys are from Portland, Oregon. They got a little brewery. They like to come in. Come on in. Open the door. Fritz. Fritz Tosher. He's been to or- been to Portland since that time. I've been over there to see him since that time. Wow. Built a relationship in a small family brewery that sold beer. What do you say? 10 or 15, 20 kilometer radius. Small little town. Township beers. Yeah. <clears throat> and so that was one of the first times that I saw that there was so much of a sharing of information and showing them what and um, in the early days when we had our Portland Brewing, the guys from Weinhardt's would come next door to Bogart's joint. There's a little restaurant next door to us called Bogart's joint. And they'd come down there for lunch. 
kind of scowl at it. <laughs> Especially Bob Weisskirch in the brewery. He'd kind of growl at us. He later came around and was an advocate for us. Wow. But so were their brewers. All Their brewers were always advocates. They'd come down. I still remember the day the guy worked the swing shift. He had his boots on. He was down having a, some food late in the afternoon. And somebody was... Doing a CIP, a cleaning process on the kettle. From our kettles. And, and the hose had flopped out down onto the floor. And he saw it. He opened the door, came and shoved it back in, and that kind of thing. You know, he kind of just stunned his nose out. But those guys, they were on the working floor. They were all behind us. The other executive guys stuck. <laughs> what, what do they know about? Here. We're big boys. Right, well, where are they at now, right? I mean, that's that's totally changed. Who would have anticipated Henry Einhardt would be gone, completely off the map now? I mean, I don't think anybody. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I'm going to approach one question yeah. that I get asked many times. Let's do it. That we haven't hit. Why Portland? Oh, I would never have asked that. But tell me why Portland? This is going to be a collection of various people's opinions other than mine. Absolutely. And they won't be in a bright one, two, three, four order, but they will be a choice of them. Good water. People say, yeah, we had hops around here, but listen, in the mid-80s, right. people drove, they thought they were tall pole beans when they drove around Salem in the fall. Right. They didn't know what hops were or anything. Nobody could talk about IBUs. And there wasn't a ton of them. I mean, there wasn't tons and tons and tons of hops at that point either. Yeah. I mean, Burt really was instrumental, going back to Burt Grant, and that Yakima region was instrumental in doing some of the first hops and then it kind of growing out from there. Well, he right? worked for Steiner Hop Company. Right. So. He was a hop chemist. Yeah. And so, water. Yeah, the hops had something to do with it, but in the early days... People didn't know what an IBU was. Right. Now, my Marsha, my friends, oh, that's got too many IBUs in it for people. <laughs> Even my wife, she's like, it's too bitter. What is the IBU on this? All right. Um, the people that started them were entrepreneurs. They were capitalized. They had a personality. And they helped sell themselves. Dick and Nancy Ponzi, you could go find them yeah. at their brewery. You could find Fred Bowman and I, Widmer's. Minimum started expanding a lot, but those were high profile. They're out there and about. Yep. Um, yeah, we grow. We grow some malt, maybe in Eastern Oregon. So the malting wasn't a huge part of it. Um, I give a lot of credit to people like Bill McCormick. I sold the first Portland Ale was the first craft beer. He had. A, Budweiser, Henry's, and Henry's Light, yep. three beers on tap, because they're right across the street from the brewery. Literally, you could walk into Jake's Crawfish at any time and find some employees of Henry Weinhardt's Right. So, I go down to tell Bill McCormick to be my sales deal. And I'm going through this deal, and he goes, ah, nah, nah. I'm telling him, oh, arcade costs $50 more, because you charge 50 cents more glass, you're going to $50 more gig. And he goes, yeah, 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 I know. But here's why I'm going to sell it. He said it's an upgrade. 
I want to upgrade everybody. Again, this was 1986. I want to upgrade everybody 50 cents. I want to get at least four 50 cent upgrades on it. I want an appetizer, a drink, a dinner, and a dessert. If I can make an extra 50 cents in all four of those categories, I'm happy. He says, my banker does not understand percentages of profit. He just understands dollars in the till at the end of the day. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, it's under understanding what motivates each of the groups, right? Yeah. And for Bill, it was like, look, at the end of the day, the guy that I report to, the bank, it's dollars, man. So. See, and our... Portland restauranteurs and tavern owners and bar owners, they had the same philosophy. Oh, right. And the other thing they would, I'll give you a try. And from what we heard from other regions in the country, well, I don't want, uh, I drink my bud, Miller Coors, whatever. You know, they didn't, they wouldn't even give you a try. Another reason that we succeeded was that we had good distributors. I mean, you've got the Molina's family. Strong, strong people. Uh, the people that own Columbia Distributing, that have since sold it, strong, strong people. And our smaller distributorships, again, they're family-owned, small, Big and they all work their tails off. Yeah. So we have we have a great distribution network in Oregon, although it's being consolidated yeah. right now. Yeah, it's definitely changed the distributor side. Talk to me about the role of, because in that success, I think our some of the beer places that popped up. And the Dublin sticks out in my mind, just down the street from you, as one of those early places that you could go get different beers. Well, right? the Dublin started out on, on Division Street. What was it? 30th or something like that in a little tiny place, and they outgrew it. Okay. <coughs> and, excuse me. Yeah. At one time, Don Younger had owned what became the Dublin Club over here, and it was called the Rose and Raindrop, and Don tried to make that work, and it didn't work. And then, and I'm not sure exactly what the sequence is, and maybe at that time is when Katie and Brian came out here to get the Dublin Club. And that's, see, the Dublin Club was the very first place to sell the Whitmer Hefebite. Absolutely. Here they were, selling beer that you couldn't see through. Yeah. That story's hilarious. Yeah, flat out. And and the Dublin, you can go still get cutting-edge beers that you're not going to find anyplace else. I mean, it still lives as a kind of a instrumental part of the Oregon beer scene. So. Yeah. And listen to some good Irish music on St. Patrick's Day oh, and all yeah. that. Yeah, so. Good. But there's places like that dotted throughout Portland that, again, I think set up... Oregon for success and allowed people to experiment, home brewers to experiment and professional brewers to experiment and offer things to the public to see what worked and what didn't work. See, when we got started, just like Jake's, I said, you know, yeah. there was three and you could put a fourth one on that stanchion. Okay. And they were downstairs in this crummy little cellar cooler that they had at that time. <laughs> and they got drafted straight up. So they couldn't have, they couldn't put many kegs in there to start with. So for people to expand, they had to expand their cooler space to really make it work. So all of a sudden you started seeing back walls 
with a cooler on the other artificial side. walls and all that. Or because a lot of stuff used to be up front and the keg was underneath, one keg at a time. They have to haul it in and out. Pretty soon they started get putting things in a series where you had two, so you didn't have to change the kegs as often in the middle of the shift and everything. Then adding taps, adding taps, adding taps, adding taps. So we first got started. That's what you had to do. You weren't going to go bump cams off necessarily. Right. But when, when we first started selling beer, you'd go into a little neighborhood tavern, and there'd be a sign up above about three feet by two feet, and had these, and you had these little clip letters that you would put into the lines. Mm-hmm. And they had Eastern beer and Western beer. <laughs> really? Yes. Eastern beer, Schlitz, Strohs, Ham, Budweiser. Western beer. Lucky Lager. Rainier. Rainier. Olympia. Weinhardt's. Uh, there weren't any other small breweries in California at that time, I don't know. But was it Anchor or Sierra? Anchor and Steam were down there. Yeah. Anchor was, of course, but it wasn't up here that much. Was that Sierra Nevada or anything like that around at that point? Because mm-hmm. he went... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think... I'm I don't know what his distribution was like at that point. I'm not sure when he got started. Interesting. Have you been to his plant in North Carolina? No. Is it? I mean, <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. He said they said he only spent 160 million on it. If he would have said he spent 300 million, I would have said, "Oh, I agree. I see." It. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's unbelievable. All these copper gutters, and copper this, copper that. A lot of a lot of copper. It's up on a little hillside. Yeah. Um, got treated like royalty. I'm walking down the hallway, and here comes a guy who used to work for Whitmer there. Art, come on, let me show you around. Does all that stuff make better beer, Art? Well, I've always liked his beer. I know, but does all that stuff, all that money, if it's him or anybody else, does that stuff make better beer? And this leads into my next quick piece is... Well, I'll tell you what. When I went to their brewery, and you go down underneath the kettles and everything, it's all state-of-the-art kind yeah. of stuff. It was all... He brought German people over to do it. Would you say beer's in a better place now, than, and then people are making better beer now than they've made ever? Yeah. yeah. I've never thought of it that way, but... Um, because everything's scientific now, right? And everything's controlled. And The other thing is that um, in the retail market, you used to go in and sell yourself to the store. And everything. Well, now they've got all these keyed systems. They know exactly how much to sell. They, there's somebody miles away from here that looks at a piece of paper that says, oh, ah, we need to drop that one. We didn't get enough sales out of that one. You know, wow. It's a little different than, hey, Gary's bringing the beer in. I don't want to, I want to make sure that Gary has his beer yeah, in here. And, yeah, I mean, I appreciate it. So how much, how big is too big, though, with some of this? So um, I look at some of these beers. Vlad is one of those beers, right? So there's a lot of care that goes into uh, making these these beers, right? And especially these barrel aged beers. Alan Alan's a victim of this, right? He he wants to have big, bold, crazy beers, right? And he could easily have expanded when everybody else is expanding, but he chose to stay small, smaller. You guys did the same thing at Cascade. You chose to be the size that you're at, but you could you could buy big, huge canning lines and mass produce like anybody else. But you've chosen to control quality. How big is too big? Or is that a question each brewer has to ask themselves? It's how you, how the market absorbs your product, where you think you can go and looking into that crystal ball, 
And if you're going, 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 going like this, where is the, the point of no return where you keep going, 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 buying more equipment, going more in debt, going more in debt to make more? Are you really netting anymore? Full sale. I look at full sale and full sale got huge. I mean, they were massive. And then you watch their market share and the bottles bought is decreasing, decreasing, decreasing. But for me, I look at quality of beer. Does the quality of beer change the bigger that you get? Or is it still just the same old beer? Well, I know that McCarnahan's changed. I drank that about That's, where we're going. You know, that's another product that changed through the cycle as different brewers at Portland Brewing got involved in it probably. And then the accountant gets involved in it. Yeah. Cut this out and we cut that out. I don't know. I hated to see that product go by the wayside. Yeah. Or change completely, right? But they, there's so many different elements to how you build your beer business, whether you try to get big and not have anybody pushing it, or you try to stay medium-sized and get a lot of people out in the trade. Um, I don't know, Breakside seems to be just running great guns. Well, and Jamie down at Nkasi is going nuts, like with his, right? Well, yeah, they got... They did something financially, I'm not sure what it Yeah, was. I heard that too. So They got involved with somebody, whether they still are or not. I don't know about Breakside. I know that they're doing something in Beaverton. They're doing something out in Gresham. Yep. Um, what about Gary over at Deschutes? Again, another big, huge name, a brewery that was a little teeny brewery out of Bend, Oregon, and then went nuts, right? And then just absorbed Boneyard, which is... Boneyard was an offshoot of them, right? So... Yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> but that's interesting to watch them change. And you can find the shoots coast to coast now, right? But I would say that their beers changed. Obsidian Stout is not as Obsidian Stout that I remember growing up or Black Ute or any of that type of stuff. Um, but would that have changed no matter what over time? Or is that a change that was because they got big? I... I don't know whether the malt changed, yeah. the hops changed, equipment changed, recipe changed, right. availability of raw materials maybe changed. Yeah. Who's a brewery that's no longer around that you wish was still around or that you were shocked to see leave the market? Wow. Uh, I, I would say Portland is my biggest shock. Yeah. I never dreamed in a white world that it would take a turn. I agree. I agree. Um, and it probably did for a number of reasons, and I have enough divorce from it. I'm not sure what they were. But they lost the people part of it. Yeah. I know that. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't have no guilt myself. Yeah. Don't go to bed going, oh, how did I screw that up? I, I don't think it, it just things happen. You know that. You're old enough to know. Stuff happens. Well, yeah. that, that's the perfect segue into my question, too, is, is when you, you look back over the history that you've had in the beer industry, is there anything that you would have changed knowing what you know now? That's a good question. I think that I was just talking to my son the other day about Cascade. Oh. When we were over in 
doing everything with Kent and Belmont. Yeah. Would we have been better off? Stay there. I don't know. It's a good question. What was I the answer that, to that? I don't know. I might have stayed. Might have stayed small. Keep it simple, stupid. Kind of thing. Um, because I had uh, the lodge was just about paid off, and I, I had it paid off. And I'm buying that building over there. Um, but just decided to roll those dice one more time and move out to Beaverton. You get stars in your eyes sometimes. Yeah. And maybe I wouldn't have done that and had that place sitting over there paid for, pecking out just a little bit of sour beer. But in the meantime, a lot of other people came on the market. Yeah. I'm keeping that building. I leased that to the company. Paid a million dollars for the building 11 years ago. And oh, about 160-something on it. Hmm. And the guy gets 9.5% interest, so he... And it's got... I, I can't pay him off. It's got a clause in there. I can't really? Because <laughs> oh, wow. I assumed an old, a contract. Yeah. And that was in the contract. Which, and I knew it. I'm not boo-hooing it. I knew it. Yeah. So, but... Um, I'm, what I'm really excited about now is the fellas that I sold the business to. I'm going to see if and I hand you that. Thank you. Any more coffee or anything, guys? I think we're good. We're just going to chat for a few minutes, yeah. Yeah, you're fine. Just Do I do one check or I'll separate? take a check, yep. Okay. Um, have you been to the barrel house, I mean the blending house and seen it over there? I haven't, no. It's, I'm waiting for a tour. Maybe that's part two of our series here. Yeah. Okay, we can go over there and maybe we and we and go meet the guys that bought the company. Yeah, maybe that we can show the transition. Rainy Mount, who was my first contact, was a regular customer at the lodge for years. I was talking to him one evening and saying, "I like, I want to go sell." Maybe. What? What? Yeah. Oh. I'd like to put together a group. I said, that's great. So what I ha what we have now is four guys that were like the age of Fred and I, 40 to 44, mm -hmm. with that same enthusiasm, same that go attitude. Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to, we're going to be in there, we're going to work for free until we turn, get this thing cash flowing. That same attitude, and that makes, that's what drives me. Also, when they get going, then they can pay me. But, <laughs> so it sounds like it's a passing of the torch. Yeah, it really is. From a business standpoint, yeah. Uh, my son didn't want to do it. My daughter would like to, but we just she needs more than just her to go do it. Uh, my son went, Dad, you know, I don't want to take those risks. i got kids in college. And so who's taking over OBF? Would your, would your daughter do that? Yeah, she would do that. She's, has she been involved in yeah. the uptick? Good. She yeah. seems very active on social media, so she seems like somebody that might be passionate about that piece oh, of it. Oh, she would like to run it, yeah. She would like to. Um, it takes capital to go run it. So, Adelsheim uh, Winery did a, uh, celebrated the 50 years since uh, they were founded. 
and they hosted Dick and Nancy and um, all the original winery folks at their property. I don't know if you heard about it. There's a video on YouTube that actually shows all of those old winemakers coming together to celebrate 50 years. And there's a the video series is interesting because again, all of these people that were pioneers in the wine uh, industry that pointed things that way in the 70s, uh, all coming together and where they're at now and where their wineries are at now. And they're all in different places now, but. Has there been talk about pulling some of you guys, or maybe this happens, maybe it happens every Tuesday morning, you and Dick and Nancy and Kurt and Rob get together for coffee, and I don't know about it, but has there ever been an, a thought about pulling you guys all together? Whoops, you're good. Has there been a thought about pulling you guys together for some sort of reunion? Well, the closest thing we come to that is the annual Brewer, Brewers Guild meeting. Okay. Nick, and, Nick and Nancy haven't been there. They got, they got honored at one when they were there. Um, I mean, Fred and Fred and Kurt and Rob and Nick and Nick and Nancy, we've all been recognized by the Guild for our contribution, and that's all I need. So once a year you guys get together at the Guild dinner and all that? I haven't for the last, they haven't had one for a couple of years, but I used to go, I don't, yeah, we would get together, but it's mostly, there's a lot of young Brewers that I don't know. Right, right. Yeah, things have moved and changed, right? The fun thing that I get out of is just have the relationship and friendships that I've built up. And I go to, I have trailblazer seats. I've had them since the second year. And I sit courtside. And that's my big entertainment. And every time at the end of the game, I go out, go to the bathroom downstairs. Invariably, art, art. I run it every time. I run it last time. Well, the time before, it was one of the brewers that works for Jack down at Astoria's. And then I'm, I'm walking out, there's one of the guys from Alita's Beverage. Then the other day, it was Tom from, he works for Alita's. You know, this, you've built up all these friendships yeah. uh, through the years. And, um, one of, the, yeah. one of my little sayings is, and I thought of it as I was sitting on a friend named Marcel on his boat in Amsterdam on the Amstel River, and he's one of the Dutch brewers that I brought over a number of years ago. We were there. Huh? And he's got this 1908 barge, 60 feet long, right downtown Amsterdam. Have you been to Amsterdam? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's right downtown on the Amstel. Yeah. Across from the Russian Heritage Museum. We were sitting down on his boat drinking beers. He's a brewer. And I, we just kind of said, you know, beer brings friendship to each other. Absolutely, it does. And so, that's one of my little mottos that I try to do with beer. Friendship. And I have, I've trademarked the, the term beerism. Okay. Federally trademarked. Yeah. I'm coming out with a line of shirts. Fantastic. Beerism shirts. And I've got like 25 slogans or little things that I've collected through the years. Some of which, one of them I'm going to use and give credit to Ralph, uh, Don Younger. Yeah. There's a sandwich in every glass. <laughs> there is a sandwich. That's right. What is your library? So ours got to have this pretty prestigious beer library look. No, I don't. You have don't? 
library. You, you I, always talk about drinking beer in your garage, and here I'm picturing this. I got this. a keg of Portland Ale, <laughs> and I've given away all my specialty beers. I think I've got, I got a couple in my refrigerator that are collector beers, but no. In fact, I had a bunch of collector sours, and I took them back to our guys. I go, you know, you guys enjoy it. Wow. I do collect. I got rid of most of my brewery and I'm, I'm, not, I'm a collector, not a hoarder. Yeah. Um, I've got friends that collect Mariana, so if I see something, I'll go refer to them to, to do it. Um, you got any old, because I think you sold off most of the uh, brew flags from the brew fest, right? Well, I sold them off and I gave finished. a lot of them away. Okay. I gave them to, um, let's see. The Raindrop has got them in Beaverton. I don't know if he's holding them up. Uh, Mark Becker out at Flyboy, he's got some of them hanging up. I've got two hanging up. I've got Mount Angel Brewing hanging up, because I remember that vividly. And then I've got uh, Bridgeport hanging up. So. Okay, good. You've got that one. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think they're, they're all... And they were selling them at OBF at one point, Yeah, right? we were selling them at OBF. We sold some online. I just couldn't store them anymore. <laughs> they're old and heavy. Yeah. I I collected... I kept one for myself, Electric Dave. Really? You know, you know about Electric Dave? No. Days? He was down in Arizona. This was a real early on in the Beer Fest days when he had his beer... And he was financing himself by selling pot. And the feds came in and busted him and took his brewery away. Really? No. Well, you got to keep electric days. We had him two years at the fest. Wow. And I've got one of the electric days. Do you? Wow. Okay. And I've got uh, one that we did for Portland Porter. Do you have a, you have a Portland Brewing one? Did you guys ever have one? So. No. Okay. I have... I've got a box of a, a lot of Portland Brewing memorabilia tents and labels and stuff up in my attic. If somebody wants something, I go call them out and give them to them. Yeah. Um, wow. No, I collect things from Portland Beaver baseball. Yeah. And I, uh, I mentioned I have a house in Manzanita, so I collect postcards and pictures from Manzanita and Neocony Mountains. Yeah. And I just won one last night from 19, I think it's 1913, um, a bunch of people on the beach and in the water at Manzanita, and it's number 213 by a guy named um, Wesley Andrews, he was out of Eastern Oregon, and he was a prolific photographer in the Northwest, but he numbered them all, so I had... A bunch of them, and I didn't have, I don't have 213. Then I skip way up to a bunch of other numbers, but I got a lot before 213. And I used to be able to go and get them fairly cheap. This one I paid $9.99 free shipping. But the two previous ones went for over $200 for these cards. Wow. That's more than I want to go spend. But they were an early one of a car coming down the road in the Manzanita and some other things. So my attitude with that is the guy's got one. Well, the next one comes up. I'll get it for a lot less. <laughs> and I also collect Portland Trailblazer memorabilia cards, not oh. necessarily memorabilia, just cards up to the 2004-05 season. Okay. 
then it started getting so much one of five, one of ten, one yeah, of yeah, seven, yeah. all this, and, yeah. and the jailblazers were there. And I went, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't need any more Isaiah Ryder cards. You know? So I think uh, let's let's close down part one of this and let's uh, continue this conversation down the road, perhaps over a couple pints or something. Gary, you got anything to close us out? I don't. Nothing? Well, I appreciate your time. So uh, I'm available. Yeah, we, we need to get together and have a beer uh, and do this. I love that you mentioned Raindrop because he's doing some great stuff at Raindrop with Oregon-focused beers. Oh, um, Mark. Mark, yeah. Yeah, I've got to stop by and see him. Especially now that Loyal Legion and a bunch of other beer, because beer pop stuff's popping in that area. So Well, I went, I went over to Loyal Legion. <laughs> Could you ever have believed in the 80s that something like Loyal Legion would pop up and be successful? That was my old security bank when I was 12 years old. <laughs> I had an account there. I'm not going to lie, but I may have danced at the Arthur Murray Dance Studio there at one point, too. So... <laughs> Because that's what it was right before Loyal Legion. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But it was a bank originally. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, I can remember. But could you imagine, like, 99 caps being available at any place back in the 80s or 90s? You're a piece of that art. Like, you did that. Little did we know. Yeah? Little did we know. One thing that... Here's one little story I can you yeah? with. When we were building our brewery, I was out in Hillsboro getting some gas on the Cornell where it takes a turn and I had a little sticker on the side of my pickup that said Portland Ale and there was a I'd call him an older person somebody my age <laughs> he went Portland Ale I never heard of that beer I said oh we're some guys from Hillsborough and we're building a brewery in Portland and the old boy goes well I'll tell you this you make good beer and people will come and drink it I went you know, maybe it's that simple. That is an awesome way to close this out. Awesome story. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it more. For sure we will do this. All right. Art Lawrence, part two. A little long, but so much there. Oh, there's a lot of info in there. Yeah. I mean, just amazing, amazing storytelling. Um, all sorts of good stuff. So. Yeah, and there's probably a lot of stuff that didn't even come up. Oh yeah, you know that uh, that wasn't covered that could have been covered. So I love some of the that. old OBF stuff, right? The Kurt yeah. and Rob, uh, Brian and Mike, Art. They're like, yeah, we're we're gonna do this thing. We're gonna pull our beers together, and everybody's like, dude, nobody's gonna drink beer downtown. They did, and they <laughs> did, man. So things become huge. Yeah. Well, on that note, uh, some news was announced this week, so I guess we should jump into. In the news. We interrupt our program to bring you a special broadcast. In the news. So it's beer news for this week, man. And so uh, on that note of OBF. Yeah. OBF is back, baby. They officially announced it. KGW had that this week. I think all the news outlets. So it's going to be back this summer? It's this summer. Ooh. July 28th to the 30th. Three days only. That's a Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. That's way later than what it usually is. No, it's always always the last weekend in July. Is it? Always, yeah. Huh. So uh, it's just that it's not doing the Sunday. So they're doing yeah. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Interesting. So, and then uh, Hills Brew Fest. So uh, they're doing the old Hills Brews Fest or the new Hills new Brew Fest. Yes, yes, yes. February 25th to the 27th. And so why that's notable is uh, Art and Teddy putting on that show. So. Yeah. 
Um, I saw tickets are for sale right now for Hills Brewfest. So, really? So get on there, kids. Hills Brewfest. Type it. In, type that into the old Google machine, and uh, you'll find it and buy your tickets. It's going to be a good time. OBF tickets should be coming soon. Yeah, so. those will be gone quick. Oh, totally. All right. So uh, last week you talked about uh, ball jars and cans, and uh, yeah. This week uh, on Brewbound, they actually were talking about the aluminum can shortage expected to continue for several years. Isn't that crazy? Price increases are going to trickle down to us uh, people that use cans and yep. drink beer. So, yep. um, crazy, crazy stuff. A, a lot of breweries are actually starting to use. 16-ounce cans versus 12 because they're easier to get a hold of right now. Yeah, I just think there's going to be this thing where people are kind of going back and forth and all yep. over the place to see what's available. See what um, they've got. The problem is when, when you go to stock that stuff on store shelves, they like nice tight cubes and things to keep it exactly. organized. So. I saw something by um, the brewery that we will not name, um, Deschutes. Yeah. That uh, they had a, a picture on a lot of their media spaces this week that showed like entire cooler space dedicated to just their beer. Oh yeah, they're and they were talking impressive. about taking over the world. Yep. Well, so on that note, story number two: Deschutes Brewery promotes Peter Skurbeck to CEO. That was their former CFO, and uh, that comes on the departure of Michael Ladonde. Um, who was the CEO for 17 years. So Yeah, and isn't the new guy somehow associated with Boneyard or was at some point? I don't think so. This guy, The new guy was the CFO. Okay. Um, and the old guy had worked himself up through the company but also had done some other stuff. So gotcha. He's now listed, according to his uh, LinkedIn page, as semi-retired. So, anyways, new guy at the helm of Deschutes. Um, we'll see what that does for them and their bid to conquer the world. So. Oh, that's crazy. Um, the Central Oregon Winter Brew Festival was delayed, and it's now been announced that March 5th, Ben 21 News noted this, March 5th, it's going to be uh, put on at Good Life Brewing, and it's going to be hosted by the Oregon Brewers Guild. So, oh, really? So, this is the Winter Brew Festival for Central Oregon. Huh. So, good stuff. Check it out. Uh, I'm not sure who's selling tickets, if it's the Guild or if it's Good Life. But I don't know. March 5th, Winter Beers. So, OBF, it's back. We talked about that bad boy, so that's kind of exciting. Again, visit those guys. Um, interesting. Rogue Beer, one of our beers tonight's from Rogue. Rogue and Revival Cycles of Austin. So, these are the guys that uh, take bicycles and... Fix them up and then donate them out or oh, do yeah. cool things with them. Yeah. Um, they did a collab and they're doing a uh, Knuckle Buster IPA. And so the cool thing about this is they're doing six packs cans of okay. this thing. And in the six pack of cans, there's a golden coin, kind of like the golden ticket we talked oh, about. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you get all sorts of free stuff essentially from Knuckle Buster if you find huh. one of these coins. So. But yeah, Rogue reaching out to Austin. So that's kind of an interesting little shtick. They're going outside of the Northwest and into the Texas market. That's kind of cool. Yeah. And distilling challenges, craft beer with 
canned cocktails. <laughs> so again, more of this canned crap. Oh yeah, there's a shortage. So why not everybody else? Yeah, jump everybody into this? pile on. So we know that seltzers really, really impacted the uh, brew industry. Beer Correct. sales yep. plummeted, huge, all that stuff. So, uh, but distilling is going straight after craft beer and saying, "Look, we want to dent in this market." Um, so what they're doing is actually fairly brilliant. They're going to the states and getting the states to buy off on allowing them to can a lower percentage mixed drink. So let's mm. say you like um, a screwdriver. Yep. Right? So, so you can now buy it in a can. Now you can buy it in a can, but it's yeah. not the 40% shot of booze that's in it. Exactly. Right? It's a 12 to 14% uh, version. And it's funny you brought that up because I had a buddy talk to me about that at work. He bought one of of these canned, um, I'm going to call it a monstrosity. Yeah. And he said it's just not the same no, because of the no. lower ABV. Yeah. He goes, it just doesn't taste the same. It doesn't taste the same. I agree. And the, part of the novelty is going, I mean, I took that picture at McMenamin's. Of the making a Spanish coffee while I was in the yeah, bar. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's part of the romance yeah. of a cocktail. So. Exactly. I don't want to drink it out of a can. Well, not only that, but do you really want to drink it at a lower ABV? No, no, no. It My, changes the taste. Look, if I'm drinking a screwdriver, I'm there for one thing, and that's to get loaded. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, get lit. And I don't, I don't want to have four cans of something to get the same yeah, effect I can. Yeah, that yeah. you could have got from one. Exactly. So. so I don't know how well that's going to work, but with the younger crowd really loving cans, it might take off. Well, and the idea that it's something different, right? Yep. And beer's yeah. got to do something different. It's getting kind of stale. So um, now the beers we're trying today, not so stale. No. No. no All not. over the board with flavors. Cold cocoa. So very good. All right. That's beer news for the week. All right. Beer news. What are you drinking, dude? Beer number two. Yeah, I'm all over the board right now. I'm. Uh, I just tried three. Two is pretty good. Two is um, the brown ale. Yeah, brown ale. Also by Matchless. It's the Warehouse in the Woods Brown Ale 2021. Um, Sabra hops, American ale yeast, nutty chocolate, and fall is how it's described. <laughs> fall. Pale, C40, C80, and chocolate. So, I love um, how they put, like you said, I love how they put all the ingredients right there on the can. Yeah, I mean, there's no guessing. Or, no, you know exactly what they put into that beer. Yeah, that's a pretty pretty cool thing there. And so. It's actually really, it's another really well-balanced beer. Yeah, it is. I dig it. Again, part of their fall series from Matchless. So, two beers from Matchless, and then uh, beer three is from Rogue. Okay. Uh, this is the Rogue's Santa's <laughs> Private Reserve, the Kringle Crusher. And this is a ale with natural vanilla aged on oak rum barrel ch- chips. Ooh. Well, yeah, and if you look at that, old, old Chris Kringle's off the top rope, crushing yeah, the whoever it is down there. Can art is fantastic. It's some Satan in a leotard laying on the mat. And- Getting his ass whooped. Like Chris Kringle's coming off the top row, Macho Man style. So, what yeah, do you, you, think? you can definitely tell it's barrel aged. <laughs> yeah, mm. Rogue doesn't mess around with their no, uh, they barrel don't. age. So. They they love to to have that 
up front and, and center as far as the tasting notes go. Yeah, we did their, what the heck did we do? Oh, we did their uh, Dead Guy on Oak. Yeah, <laughs> and it was all oak. All so, oak. Yeah, that's crazy. All right, time for... Kickstart my heart. So generally, this is where there is a twist. (laughs) Generally, we we, uh, review Kickstarter campaigns that focus on beer, and things are in short supply. Man, either Kickstarter's dying, or Or... like I was talking to uh, Will, there just hasn't been any like massive homebrew slash brewing innovations. Yeah, in a couple years, it's just kind of flat. So. Um, so I thought we'd do a little bit something a little bit different. So uh, we've talked about some of the fundraisers that the Portland Timbers have been doing for yep. like Dan Zeusman and yeah. Timber Jim. Uh, this week, I thought we would look at breweries for sale. So or ways to invest in breweries. Okay. So and I know that uh, May of 2020, McMenamin said, "Hey, come invest with us. We want to. We want you to invest." So if you go to Mc invest.mcminimins.com okay um at least according to their website they're still looking for investors to help support mcminimins so they're looking for cash infusions they're looking for cash infusions and yep. so you not only get dividends and they said they get about a six percent six percent return that's not a bad not return bad. but then they give you this card and it's got like 500 bucks and like giveaways and Thirty percent off at eating at restaurant. I mean, all sorts of stuff. So, all right. So, pretty cool thing. So, if you're interested in investing in McMenamins, then certainly look this up. It's uh, again HTTP invest.mcmenamins.com. So, pretty cool thing. Um, ten barrel. Uh, there's a not ten barrel, but there is a ten barrel brewery. A brew that has a 10-barrel system. How about that? That's better. For Cause, sale. Because 10-barrel got bought up. They did. They did. But there's a brew with a 10-barrel system in Winston, Oregon. the hell's that at? So that's down by Roseburg. Okay. Okay. Right. Five million bucks. <laughs> that's a pricey 10-barrel system. Yeah, it's a pricey. Well, and so... Well better established come with location. the building and everything else. Comes with everything. Yeah. Comes with everything. Turnkey. They called it turnkey. So, uh, and it's been there for years. It's ready to rock. Five mil. Five million bucks. So Damn. That, that sounds a- like somebody just getting out of the business. Yeah, it, it totally looks like that. So, um, to me, that one was a little bit expensive when we started to take a look at it. <laughs> a so, little bit. And I was like... There's a certain group that's probably not listening to our podcast that'd be like, hey, I can do that. I can do five mil. But yeah, ten key, ten or turnkey, ten barrel brew for sale, five million bucks. They estimate their inventory is about fifty grand. Um, their real estate's worth about a million two, and um, they've got a bunch of stuff on here. But it's pretty cool. I mean, it's a nice four thousand square foot building. And then four 1,000-square-foot units upgraded and all sorts of stuff there. So, uh, What do you got? Well, I've, you know me being the finance numbers guy. Yeah. Um, with what I just got out of that, I'm, I'm not 
putting together the five million dollar price tag. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm, <laughs> I'm just, sorry. I'm giving you an option, buddy. <laughs> there's just there's just something there. Yeah, giving you that thing. Well, how about this? There's a turnkey tap house with full staff uh, in prime local Eugene area. So basically, you get a tap house for $199,000 in Eugene. Okay. Down Eugene, downtown Eugene. And your staff's already there, so you just have to pick yeah. up payroll. Yeah. No. So yeah, it's it's ready to go. It's got staff. It's got thirty thousand dollars in inventory, and okay. um, the potential to make a ton of cash is what it says. Cash flow is sixty three thousand a month. So well, that's not bad. Yeah, not bad. So, but that's a tap house, not a brewery. No, so. no, I understand. All right, Vancouver downtown, Vancouver, Cove, the Cove, I think they call it. The old trusty brewery site. You'd have that paid off in four months. You would? According to that cash flow. So downtown Vancouver, the old trusty site, $340,000 for a three and a half barrel brewery in what? downtown Vancouver. That's a perfect size. Yeah. <laughs> I know. That's the one where I was like, dude. That's perfect size. And the price isn't that bad, dude. Yeah. And the location is totally prime. So when you pop on and take a look at that bad boy i mean it's got like nice wood fixtures it's got street front nice location it's got a nice brewery and it's got nice clean beer that you could be making i wonder why they're getting out of business i don't know maybe somebody died so maybe yeah um, so yeah, take a look at that. Three hundred and forty thousand dollars the asking price. They're saying they have about seventy five thousand dollars in inventory. That's in Vancouver, Washington. Vancouver, Washington. Right now for sale. Hmm. My interest has been peaked. This is why we're doing it. Now <laughs> really, really interesting one. And when I say <laughs> interesting. That that's like I almost want to go take a look at the old bank accounts and see what I can pull off. Well snipes. Mountain Brewing in Sunnyside, Washington. Okay. Is listing theirs for 1.8 million bucks. So 1.8 million. Snipes is the one I interviewed um, a little while ago. I was going to say, I remember Snipes. Yeah, and so Snipes, Snipes is the one that is over by Chris Baum's Varietal. Yeah, okay. Right? Yeah. It's the one that all of the brewers for the Yakima area rotate in and get the hell out. Right? So they train... And then they get out of there. So Maybe that's why he wants to sell. Yeah, and we heard that the family's really not interested in the brewery side. Yeah. That the they're like kinda digging the restaurant side. Right. But the brewery is for sale, which includes the restaurant for one point eight million and it's the one of the very first breweries in the Yakima Valley. So it's got a historical namesake, all that. Sure. They're still asking one point eight million thing for this thing. So Oof. 1.8 is hard to swing right now. I know, I know. All right, so our last brewery. So, and I know the Vancouver one's got your mind just running. Oh, it's so, running fast. Uh, but I know you and I both want to end up in Montana at some point. Oh, yes. So I was like, what's over in Montana? So, and uh, to be honest, there's not a ton. I mean, there's a lot of like beer, uh, liquor places oh, or sure. bars or yeah. things like that. yeah, yeah. Which is an accomplishment itself with Montana law, um, but there's a long-established turnkey brewery 
that's unlisted on location. It's like not disclosed. Doesn't tell you the name. Doesn't give you a location. Oh, All you got is one picture. Sneaky bastards. And it says, longest established brewery ready for a new owner. Price to sell. Mil. Whether you're an existing brewer or an entrepreneur who wants a change in lifestyle in our beautiful state. A lot of value here for the next owner. You have the ability to brand and produce your new craft beer. Just think of the startup costs, cost of land, building and equipment, and existing beer in place. There's a huge opportunity here. Dream of a new label for your craft beer and make it come true. Don't let this pass you by. So, 1.2 mil. Sold. <laughs> and gross revenue is 685951 and cash flow is predicted, and I think this is a year, is 205428 Six years to break even on your investment. Yeah. Yeah. And shorter. That's just like if you were just keeping up with what they were doing. Well, right? sure. Yeah. That's if you met their projected expectation. Yeah. Yeah. Not my projected. So it doesn't tell you how big of the brewery it is. It's a... Uh, doesn't so tell it doesn't you give you barrel out. size. It doesn't give you any of that, huh? No, nah, it doesn't give you anything. Does so, it give you a phone number? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 1.2 milli. I'm very curious of the location. Yeah, I am too. So it, it's To me, it's one of two places. If it's a long-term or a long-time turnkey, it's, it's either Missoula or it's Bozeman. Yeah. I don't see it being anything in between in Montana right now. Probably not. Yeah. And I'm guessing, looking at the brewery picture that's there, if that's theirs, I have an idea of the one it is. Might be Bozeman. I or, I mean, it might be Missoula. I think it's Bozeman. You think? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's Bozeman. I think it's down by the airport. So, but, again, we'll have to call and confirm on it. So, yeah, so there you go. Kickstarter investment, our investment following for this week. McMenamin's beer investing, if you want to own stock in McMenamin's, yeah. follow up on it's that. It's not a bad move if you live in Oregon. Winston, Oregon, there's a brewery for sale for 5 mil. Uh, Eugene has a nice tap house for 199000 Uh There's a brewery in downtown Vancouver that's a prime location. That looks like a sweet deal. Three and a half barrel brewery, three hundred and forty grand. Snipes Mountain in Sunnyside, selling for 1.8 mil. And long-established turnkey unlisted Montana location, 1.2 million. You Mm. can get in, dude. All right, which one are you buying, dude? Oh, wow, that's tough. If you got some investment money to throw around out there, listeners, there's a couple absolutely amazing deals oh, out yeah. there. One point two million unlisted yeah, location. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm really kind of curious on what that one's got. Uh, might have to make some inquiries on that one. Yeah, I agree. But if you're in the Washington area, that Washington one looks like a sweet deal. You'd have to do your research, but. Uh, that's pretty cheap to get into an existing brewery. I mean, it, it didn't say tap house. It said brewery. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I'd say a brewery, flat out. 
All right. Well, last beer, and then we should close this bad boy out. We're at an hour and 20 minutes. Oh, my God. <laughs> Where did time go? I know. So, uh, last beer is Double Mountains a rain- and Ranger Chocolate. So, it's Double Mountain and Ranger Chocolate Collab Chocolate Stout. So, hmm. uh, what is this? 6.8%. All right. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting a very distinctive taste of, like, Baker's Chocolate. Yeah. Very, very dark, dark chocolate in there. I like, uh, I like collaborations where they're doing things with different like foods or chocolatiers uh vanguard yeah. did that one with um, moonstruck chocolate if you yep. remember yep. so um and there's others like there's voodoo donut ones and all sorts of stuff so. yeah but yeah interesting multi chocolate i like the uh creamy head on it so <laughs> of course you do <laughs> yeah <laughs> jason loves him some creamy head oh my lord <laughs> like why you gotta be that way Nothing? I got nothing because it's usually you being that way. No. I, yes, I'm the good is. one here no. sitting on this side of the mic. No. <laughs> All right. Well, so four beers this evening. Uh, matchless Cold Chocolate, Matchless Warehouse in the Woods, Brown Ale 2021. The Kringle Crusher. From Rogue. Rummy and Rum Barrel Chips. Yeah. And it's kind of a crazy beer. Double Mountains uh, Chocolate Stout and collab with Ranger Chocolate Company. And, uh, yeah, four very different beers, my friend. Very different. All right. Well, hopefully the listeners enjoyed the interview series with Art Lawrence. Yeah. We're working the, uh, working the, what, the connections, trying to uh, hook up with the McMenamin brothers. That would be wonderful. Also, Kurt and Rob, but uh, they're a bit... um, Hard to get. Aloof, maybe? <laughs> yeah. huh? I wouldn't say aloof. They're just They're just hard to get home. a hold of. They're busy men. Um, John Harris, we're calling you out. Uh, yep. We're trading some emails with John. And then I've also reached out to Full Sail and Deschutes to see if we can hook up with Gary and Irene over at Full Sail. So, okay. And I thought those would be great legacy interviews. If oh, we absolutely. Do I mean, these are, these are iconic breweries that have been around... Not all since the beginning, but have have had some major impact on the beer scenes in the whole Portland area. Yeah, and the Pacific Northwest, right? So it's all interconnected and all that. So, but yeah, look for those legacy inter- interviews uh, later this year. Um, yeah. But again, huge thanks to Art Lawrence. Huge thanks to Alan Sprints. Made the first two fantastic. Yep. Um, and again, I hope the listeners learned a lot and. Got a lot by listening to their voices because I think hearing it, their stories from their lips is different than reading in a book. It very definitely you, it it definitely puts a different spin on hearing the story when you hear the actual person that experienced it tell that story. I agree, man. All right, well, we'll probably uh, be off for a couple of weeks. We'll let this one. Uh, Sit there and age and, and do <laughs> his like thing, fine, and then we'll be back in about aged beer. two weeks with a new one. I'm thinking uh, the Skookum guys might yes. be a good one to yeah, that'd be a good one to do. So, all right, guys, with that, um, have a wonderful week. And again, huge thanks, Art. Um, I guess from here we can say Tim beers. Tim beers. 
Thanks for listening to the Portland Tim Beers Podcast. Be sure to visit the Portland Tim Beers Podcast on ACAST.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover our fantastic bonus content. If you love the Tim Beers Podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. Until next time, Tim Beers. Tim Beers.